This episode of the Data Center Podcast is brought to you by Data Center World, the global conference for data center facilities and IT professionals. Join industry colleagues in San Antonio from March 12th to March 15th, 2018 to discover solutions to real-world data center problems. Learn more at datacenterworld.com. Again, that's datacenterworld.com. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Data Center Podcast. My name is Evgeny Svetlik. I am the editor-in-chief at Data Center Knowledge, which produces and publishes the show. Today, we are at the San Francisco headquarters of Mesosphere, just a stone's throw away from our own San Francisco office here downtown. And we're here to chat with Florian Liebert, Mesosphere's CEO and founder. His company is revolutionizing the way software runs in data centers. And we're here to learn more about that, but also because Mesosphere was recently recognized as a World Economic Forum technology pioneer. And Florian is getting ready to go to the WEF event called Summer Davos in China later this month. Florian, thank you for joining our podcast. Thank you for coming by. So you're going to China to participate in Summer Davos. What kind of event is it and what are you going to do there? Sure. So the events, uh, the event is comprised of more than 60 academics and uh, entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and uh, corporate executives. And uh, there's there are actually two events that the WEF puts on. So the one is the, the one in China in Dalian this year, and the other one is in the in the winter, always in in January in uh, Switzerland, so in, in Davos, Switzerland. And it's essentially a forum for everybody to get together and talk about uh, really important topics that are that are not just limited to technology, but that really have to do with with all of innovation, social social impact, economics, so a lot of different and diverse topics. What is it about Mesosphere that caught the attention of WEF? So I think one of one of Mesosphere's uh, key differentiators in the market is that we we don't just manage applications, right? Like so, a lot of this, there are a lot of software solutions out there that manage an application, but what we really do is we, we go beyond that. We help companies with a digital transformation. And what that means is we, we essentially provide the entire, entire technology infrastructure to companies that want to revolutionize their business. So uh, think about car manufacturers, for example. Traditionally, they're hardware companies. They don't really, uh, they're oftentimes not as well versed in software if they're uh, a 100 or 200 year old company, right? Uh, and what what they have to do now, they have to use all of these new technologies in order to build a new product, which is no longer a, a hardware product, but which is a software product, right? So I'm specifically talking right now about self-driving cars. So a self-driving cars, a self-driving car, uh, while it has an engine and everything, the really the really revolutionary piece, uh, aside from of course driving with batteries, oftentimes and and an electric motor. Uh, versus a piston piston engine um, is that it uh, that it's comprised of software that you can update the software you can park it and overnight you actually have a new car right if there's a if there's a software update and what these sort of technologies or what these sort of innovations require is not they 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 don't just require one specific technology they really they really draw from an open ecosystem of a lot of technologies. Some of them are proprietary, and some of them are uh, 
well, a lot of them are open source. And uh, to stay with a connected car example, what you oftentimes need is a message queue to transport vast amounts of data, right, it's into into uh, an edge location. And then you need to process the stream of data. You actually need to store the data. You need to uh, batch process the stored data, derive some, uh, oftentimes some, um, do some machine learning on the data, derive uh, derive some knowledge out of it and then uh, feed that knowledge back into the car so that the car can make better decisions. And uh, with, uh, with autonomous cars or self-driving cars, the data that's being recorded is actually four terabytes for every eight hours of driving. So that's a ton of data, right? Especially if you multiply that times 100,000 cars on the road or a million cars on the road, 10 million cars on the road. So um, what, what makes it so compelling for our software is that our software enables you to run all of these technologies in data centers that may be at the edge or in a centralized cloud. And you can access all of them with the same API. So everybody knows, of course, that AWS, Amazon Web Services, has proprietary APIs that give you similar capabilities, right? They give you a message queue. They give you a way to store the data and they give you some machine learning libraries. But aside from being locked into a proprietary into a proprietary cloud, you can't just take this stack and install it somewhere at the edge. You always have it at a central location. And for self-driving cars, for example, that does, just doesn't work. And our technology enables, enables these companies to re really build their, their innovations. Self-driving cars are a really good example for a, a very traditional company uh, being able to uh, transform itself into a into a digital company, but I think a lot of our a lot of what our software enables actually is any company, even a company outside of Silicon Valley, can become a software company with the help of our software and become a software company with a much lower barrier of entry. And um, that that was one of the that was one of the key reasons why we were selected because we really democratize, if you if you will. Uh, the entry of any company into into the the into this digital era. What is Mesosphere, and why should data center managers care about it? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, maybe I'll start out by really highlighting our vision of what we what we're trying to build and what we're building right now. So at Mesosphere, we want to provide public cloud-like platform services from an open ecosystem on any infrastructure, and if you. If you double click on that, what it really means is we want to give you an experience just like Amazon Web Services or better, but from an open ecosystem, so from components that are readily available out there. So the latest and greatest technologies that might not have made its way behind, uh, behind a proprietary Amazon API, we want to give you access to these technologies and that across any infrastructure, so in your own data center or in the public cloud. A really unique uh, point about the software that we've written is that it really takes all of your data center resources, so all of your compute, storage, and, uh, well, memory, right, and abstracts it away as resources. So essentially, you just put a new server in, and it adds that to the pool of available resources, and then applications, workloads, can be scheduled on these resources. So essentially what our software does is it treats your entire data center like one giant computer. 
Uh, our product is really strong when it comes to uh, when it comes to the uh, operations engineer and uh, well, how we help for example is if there's an application that crashes we can automatically restart that application and i mean that's not a unique value proposition that we have that uh, everybody has that but on top of that what we have is we have the ability for you to really look in and, and look into containers look at the log files that are produced from one central location right because you don't have to you don't have to necessarily ssh into into each and every box you you can just look at where the application especially with dynamic applications that share infrastructure, it becomes very difficult to do that. So we provide you the tooling to um, debug and uh, monitor all of, these, all of these workloads that are running, even if they run in an elastic environment. How did you end up working in technology and how did you decide you'll focus on data centers? I actually started my uh, career in ad tech. So in 2008, I worked in uh, ad tech at a company in Kansas City and we had a we had a lot of data that we had to crunch and we had traditionally been using uh, well relational databases to do to do some of the data well analysis we, we did some ETL and then we had once we had it loaded into the database we did we, we, we actually wrote a collaborative filter on top on top of uh, this relational database as the data volume was increasing and as like uh, Soft, as we actually used Netiza, which was a very expensive uh, relational database appliance. And as we saw that this was not going to scale anymore, we looked at alternatives. And the, the alternative that we found was Hadoop. And it was very nascent back then, a, a very new technology, but it promised to just scale horizontally. And uh, that's what we used and my team set that up. I, I really got involved in, in the Hadoop ecosystem very early on. And after, after a year or so there, I actually joined Twitter. And uh, at Twitter, I think I was hired initially because of the Hadoop experience that I had. But uh, very quickly, I actually was working more on writing new microservices for the company. And that's where I actually found a big problem of how, how applications are deployed. And that was because it, it really took us forever to deploy a new, a new microservice to our infrastructure. And that was because you had to go through this traditional process of provisioning a piece of hardware, configuring it, and then statically allocating it to just one application. And it was, in, in our case, it would have been 14 or 16 servers would have been allocated to user search back then. And those were really beefy machines. Those would have been utilized just like the rest of our machines back at, back at that time, around 10%. So you're wasting 90% of the resources. And when I saw this back then, um, I started to talk to one of my really close friends who was writing his PhD th thesis at UC Berkeley on a cluster level manager that promised to really aggregate all of the compute, storage, and memory and presented like one big computer so that applications could be automatically deployed and bin packed onto machines without using virtual machines, but with using container technology. And that was in uh, 2000, early 2010. And well, Ben Hintman uh, was, was uh, at Berkeley and I convinced him to join us at Twitter. And over the next year or two, 
uh, he ended up building out a lot of the critical infrastructure at Twitter for, for this Mesos project and the container orchestration on top of it. And I actually was his first customer within Twitter. And so I deployed my microservices onto this platform and got a lot of experience doing so. I don't want to take the, all the credit for this, but I mean, a, a big part of, of uh, removing the fail well was that we decomposed a monolithic, a monolithic Ruby on Rails application into smaller microservices. And we were able to do this because we had Mesos and because it, then we could scale these components in de independently from each other. And uh, yeah, that was a big reason why, why the farewell died. But after, after actually two years at Twitter, I moved over to Airbnb and uh, Airbnb had a similar problem. It's monolithic application written in Ruby on Rails going towards a microservices-based architecture. And uh, again, we used Mesos early on in order to then scale it out. And I also ended up with my team writing a distributed job processing framework, which was called Kronos. It's still called that today. I don't know why I said it was. So it's called Kronos. And it really allowed you to, to write cron jobs that run in a cluster. And that was really the pivotal moment. Once I wrote that framework from the ground, ground up, and I saw that we are writing a distributed system with less than a couple of hundred of a couple of hundred lines of code for the prototype. I was really blown away because that's that's one of the powerful uh, well, that's one of the powerful value propositions of Apache Mesos. You can write a new distributed system without having to worry about the underlying uh, infrastructure and or the events that happen. For example, network partitions and so forth. Mesos has a really uh, great way of, com of, of communicating this back up to you and you can just handle these events. So it makes writing distributed systems orders of magnitude easier. And once, once we saw this and once we saw Mesos getting a lot of, well, getting a lot of popularity in the community and companies like Netflix and Yelp and Vimeo uh, using it, we decided, wow, there's a really big commercial opportunity and really making it super easy for any company, not just a Silicon Valley tech company, to start using this groundbreaking technology. And that's when we formed Mesosphere four years ago. Who are the major DCOS users today and how are they using it? Sure, so um, a, a couple of really exciting use cases are um, Autodesk, and Esri is another really exciting one. So Esri, not everybody might know them, but they are the number one GIS uh, software out there. And um, what, for example, uh, what we do with Esri is we allow them to deploy their application much more quickly because their application requires a bunch of components that are public cloud-like platform services, such as a message queue, such as a distributed database, such as a real-time stream processor and normally it would have taken them for each deployment of their software a very long time to set up each and every one of these components with our solution we, we bundle them together and they can literally install it in an hour or so autodesk uh, i can't really talk about the the exact use case but they use our software in order to manage hybrid cloud they're, they're essentially applications across uh, the private and public cloud you talked in your recent blog post for the WEF that nearly everything is on its way to becoming its own data center. Cars, drones, houses, cities, etc. What does that mean exactly? Yeah, so I think 
I think if you look at a connected car today and you look at how much processing power is already in that car, that car really starts to look like a mini data center, right? It doesn't just have one processor. I mean, even, even a traditional car has many, many processors. I mean, smaller ones are not necessarily x86, but um, with connected cars, you literally have Linux running on there on a uh, on a sometimes many nodes, not just a single server, but maybe many smaller servers with a lot of storage. And some of the processing has to happen in the car, right? So some of the image processing has to happen right there as you're driving. And uh, so that's why, in our opinion, it's it's already a data center. And I think I think it's going to just just as we add more sensors to cars and to other devices, we'll have to put the uh, the intelligence onto onto the edge and or directly into these devices to do some of the pre-processing. What role does Mesosphere and DCOS play in that world of core and edge data centers, cloud services, and their end users? First of all, just to preface this, um, this entire space is really just developing, right? I think in the past, and, and this I think is worthwhile noting, in the past what has happened was you had a lot of human-to-machine data generation. Right, so you're using Snapchat, you're using Twitter. That's a human interacting basically with a bunch of servers, and and there's data being generated. I think as we're as we're really going into this IoT age, you have much more machine-to-machine -machine data generation. And uh, for every uh, for every sensor that that pops up, you basically have another machine generating all of this data. And I think right there, there are two there are two reasons why we believe that the edge data centers are going to be are going to be a real thing one is that uh, in in the short term the data pipes to central data centers just won't be able to keep up with the amount of data that's being generated so we have a uh, an annual data growth right now of about 40% right that's that's massive now i think in the long term of course uh, We'll, we'll figure out how to solve this problem. But there's another problem, and that has to do with latency. And latency has one big constraint, and that's the uh, speed of light, right? So at some point, distance becomes a real problem for applications. And I think there will be always some applications where you want to be really close to the sensors making decisions. And maybe the sensors are so small that they can't make this, the sensor devices are so small that they can't ever be making those decisions on their own. And that's why we believe that, for example, with the the arrival of 5G, you're going to have a lot more edge data centers wherever you have cell towers. And uh, I think this is going to be a real opportunity for applications we can't even, we can't even think of today. And I think when you give developers a number of APIs that make it much easier to interact with the data, to, to store the data, to analyze the data, I think uh, people are super creative and new applications will come out really that, that, uh, that, uh, to, 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 that nobody actually can predict today. We haven't been deployed on an EndNote device to our knowledge yet, but I think that'd be a really, a really interesting use case. I mean, there, there's, no, there's no reason why you couldn't run uh, DCOS on a, on a mini cluster inside a car. If you want to have the same set of cap, uh, compatible APIs across all of across all of these uh, across all of these environments, right? So the the same, for example, image analysis that you want to use in the car as you want, would want to use in the in the edge data center or maybe even in the public cloud. Where and you just in the public cloud you do uh, or private data center you do all of the aggregate computing. 
And in the edge data center, you do some of the aggregate computing of some of the cars that are that are connected to that edge edge cell. And in this car, you would just do the computing for that for what happens in the car. So from a from a developer angle, it might make sense in some use cases to have the same APIs. What kind of edge deployments are common today, and what is the edge computing infrastructure of tomorrow going to look like? So the deployments that we see today are largely around industrial IoT and connected car at the edge. So um, sensors on windmills, sensors on uh, flat on turbines. Actually, like that's another really good example. If you if you think about a uh, a turbine, uh, a turbofan engine, right? Like that's that's on an airplane. These uh, they they have so many devices there's so many sensors today that actually measure all sorts of things right and that those uh, those uh, the the measurements can then be used to actually predict when you have to uh, run maintenance on those uh, on those devices and um in order in order to do this like if you if you look at an, an airplane for example uh, a, a turbine uh, generates about the numbers vary, but depending on the turbine, uh, let's say let's say a terabyte or, or more per flight. And I mean, imagine you have a really busy airport. Again, uploading this data will become a real problem, especially if you want to do analysis right away. So again, there's a really big use case for having small data centers at airports in order to do some of this uh, preventive maintenance on that on that data. So that's that's certainly that's certainly a big part of it. So. When you when you double click on this and look what what the technologies that you then need at the edge are, you certainly need some machine learning capabilities. You need some data storage capabilities. You need you always need to uh, be able to uh, do application lifecycle management because you'll probably have some sort of an application that runs and interacts with the the user or the mechanic. Um, and uh, so so if you if you expand it, it's again a a subset of these public cloud-like platform services. Florian, thank you very much. Thank you.